0: came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response.
1: Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding.
1: And I am Xenia Chmutena.
2: This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen.
1: Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Disasters Deconstructed we've talked quite a lot in our season two and we are continuing talking and this season about different ways of communicating disaster risks good practice communication and risk communication isn't something many people do well unfortunately and even when we do communicate risk well very often the communication is aimed at community instead of being developed with the community
2: and today we have uh, the perfect guest to um, discuss this topic. You, If you're involved in the disaster research community and disaster risk management, you will um, recognize our guest today, who is Barefoot Bob Alexander. He's the Master of Communication Techniques, and we're so pleased to welcome him today. Welcome, BFB.
0: I'm very happy to be here as
2: well. Thank you. So we've been meaning to do this for a while. And uh, we've, I mean, right from when we started the podcast, we, we talked to you about um, making a, an appearance. So we finally made it happen. I know you've been really busy down in Malawi,
0: haven't you? Yes, yes, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I, I'm really happy to be able to finally do this. This is great.
2: So I want to start off BFB by talking about your approach to disaster risk management, because it's quite unique. And you believe that good practices and communication um, are really important to addressing risk. And you've been using a whole range of media, from contests to the arts, to music, and video, to communicate and to engage in communication about risk. So why is it that communication is so important to you?
0: I think disaster risk management has made much progress uh, in the past 40 or 50 years. And a lot of that progress has been on the integration the mainstreaming and development with a focus on risk rather than response and more local level decision making about how to reduce risks but one of the things missing from that is exceptionally lacking is that there's this great divide and the so-called scientists from the outside telling local people what to do based on their external risk assessments and determination of good practices Mm -hmm. to address those risks and then not really understanding why don't local people do what we're telling them yeah so after years of being an external modeler uh, people I like the joke when I say that I'm a recovering economist, I, but I doing I did a lot of external models, and then I got involved in community-based disaster risk management. And I realized while talking to people that they have their own models of what the risks and good practices are, and that they have valid insights and perceptions from their own way of doing science that's taking place both outside the community and inside it. So there needs to be this participatory communication, as you mentioned, that allows decision makers, the local decision makers, the households themselves to think about their own perceptions relative to what they're hearing from the outside, and then use that towards discussion that will lead to like a hybrid approach to agreement on what the salient problems are that are really affecting them and what actions they can take to address them.
2: Yeah, we, we had a great episode in season two with Santina Contreras talking about the different manifestations of participation and how that looks uh, different to different organizations and professionals And some of these manifestations of participation are really just ticking a box and are not really helping the way that they say they are. So like, do you have examples of ways to participate and communicate at a local level that are healthy? And also, um, do you see many DRM professionals that are using those techniques?
0: For the first one. Uh, ways that are healthy. I, I like the way that you phrased that. Um, basically, I would also say ways that are really helpful. And mm. I think that, as you mentioned, participation is often just checking a box. But there are ways that are more along the spectrum. And a lot of that involves finding ways to, to get people engaged. Mm. So it's the communication effectiveness. And so it's not just the participation. Mm -hmm. It's about ways of communicating and and, and making it so that the people themselves are involved in the decision-making. Yeah. So that's the participation is the participation in the decision-making that affects their own. So rather than just building a wall and saying, you know, that is going to reduce the risk of floods, asking people, what do you think is going to help? And maybe it might be that the wall is the most useful thing, but getting them involved in that decision-making. So a lot of that risk governance type approaches, a lot of the things of making sure that the governance incorporates uh, the local people. And a lot of that's being done uh, with the new early warning system type creation things, and you know, the participatory approaches of getting it, the people are involved. And I was just act- looking at uh, an early warning system, and you know the multi-hazard early warning system approach that completely left out the the community as a stakeholder. And I freaked on that (laughs) I sent a message immediately saying how can you leave out the most important stakeholder but that's still the way that a lot of people are thinking so um, but the fact that there are more people and it's incorporated into Sendai and other things of like making sure um, that the local people are involved is a step in the right direction
1: My favorite, I guess, technique that you're using is music and the songs that you write. Um, I I, I think, honestly, the highlight of my whole career so far was that song that you wrote for the game (laughs) session that we did together a few years ago. Um, I was just so excited to be a co-author on the song, honestly. It's it's on my CV. It's the most exciting thing. Uh, And, you know, many of us, many disasters people, sort of disaster studies, people know you and know your songs. And, you know, they kind of reduce the risk, probably sound as an earworm, you know, for quite a few of us occasionally. So how did you come about that kind of singing and writing songs about disaster risk, why is this such an important tool for you?
0: I was always doing it myself, just because I've always been a songwriter and recording artist on the side or sometimes as my main thing. Um, So whenever I was going to give a lecture, uh, whenever I was going to give a presentation, it it just made sense to, because I realized years and years ago, I I was working in Bosnia and uh, the, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and the, uh, I was asked, hey, you do music, can you write a song for this event? And I realized that a, a whole year's worth of workshops, nobody remembered anything, but everybody remembered that song. Everybody still, to this day, 20 years later, still remembers that song. And so, like, wow, that's powerful. And so, I kind of did that as just a sideline thing. But then I got asked to write the chapter for the handbook of natural hazards and disaster risk management. And uh, that chapter was about uses of music uh, for disaster risk management. And as I started to talk to people around the world about that topic, I realized this is fascinating. This really, really is powerful how music is being used and especially how it can be used. And so I got much more into making that the thing (laughs) that I do, even though I'm still doing all my other consultancies about integrated disaster risk management. Mm. When I'm in my spare time, I'm often doing all this other stuff that really focuses on uses of music and other arts. Mm.
1: But you're pretty much the only person I can think of. Well, you are the only person I can think of um, who actually uses music to communicate risk. how come, you know, why wouldn't other get involved? Do you think, like, are we scared? I don't know.
0: I think part of it just has to do, like, it was a natural thing for me because I was already a musician and recording artist. I guess people like, like Elon Kalman uses photography because he is a photographer as well. And there's other people who, you know, whatever mm. the thing is that right. they do, they're incorporating that somehow into, into what they're doing. I think there are some people who think that to be a serious scientist you have to only do serious things, and that means only writing journal articles. and so this this looking down the nose at the use of the arts for communicating. Um, and and that's okay if people choose to believe that. And, uh, but I, I'm hoping that we can kind of make a hybrid approach and, and do synthesized approaches to this that, that make it that the arts can be an effective way of communicating that uh, music as well. So that basically it already, I mean, one of the things about journal articles is that they are peer reviewed, but why can't we have peer reviewed songs? Why can't we have peer reviewed videos? Why can't we have peer reviewed Mm. everything to make it that we're making it so that the content is effective and then people will embrace it more. What's interesting about my own songs is that I, I, I tend to write about everything, but it's only the stuff that's, that I'm doing. And my community is you guys. <laughs> my community is all the disaster risk management academics and professionals. It isn't the people <laughs> in the community themselves. I don't live in those communities necessarily. Uh, I'm doing a little bit more of that these days, but usually I'm bouncing from country to country and, and don't really get it. I don't feel like I deserve to be able to write the songs for the community themselves. I think the people themselves in those should be doing that. Um, and that's, you know, part of my thing, what was just mentioned about me being a big proponent of participatory and hybrid communication techniques. So it should be the local artists themselves who are talking with affected people and being the ones to create the art. But uh, what I was just saying about communication effectiveness, and, and this comes back to like why music, is pamphlets and brochures can have all of the correct information in them. And yet they're never seen by some people as more than something fun to crumple up and shoot into the basket. It's not effective if it doesn't somehow engage people. And I think that's what I found when I wrote that chapter for the book is around the world, how music engages people It's in different ways, but in all cultures. If this interview had been a couple of minutes ago, you would have heard the COVID-19 traveling roadshow go right by my house, blasting a song by one of the most popular musicians in Malawi Mm -hmm. about what needs to be done for us to get through the pandemic now. People who wouldn't otherwise want to listen to communication messages, they want to listen to that song because it grabs them. Mm, And then the messages sneak into their consciousness and the discussions and all their actions because they're actually letting them in somehow, which they wouldn't have done otherwise. Have you seen the one with the guy from the basketball team? No. He's one of the announcers for the basketball team. And in the video, they have the mascot dancing around, but showing the different actions of what you can do. It's based on the, like, do the five. Oh, It's actually pretty clever. Check that one out.
2: Yeah, well, cool. So, BFB, you are also very keen on video production and bringing together stories of good practices. So... We wanted to ask you what makes good video content and
0: what appeals to people? As you might imagine, I've got a song that explains that since I end up talking about it in presentations and such. And good practices <laughs> in videos, showing problems <laughs> that are faced by families. Good practices <laughs> in videos, showing what's the way to help some of them might be to encourage dialogue and participatory communication that helps inform decisions and actions that are taken. Whether finding those exist and now are thinking how to make them. We want people to see good practices in videos. So, yeah, you guys both know that song. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You sang that at the, the Understanding Risk in Mexico.
1: Right, in Mexico, yeah. I was kind of, in you know, a first-hand experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Specifically about content, I'm glad you said that, because there's much in the realm of technical quality, which is key to the communi- communication effectiveness I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Because the video first needs to grab people, just like what we just said about music. It needs to grab people and hold them long enough to actually care about the content. But what's key for the communication leading to fruitful discussion and action is the content itself. Mm. So there's that thing of needing to look at both and make sure that both are up to par. I look at it through the lens of a community. They have a problem and they're watching this video, trying to use it among other tools to decide what to do. So if I'm looking at you know what makes a good video, it has to be through the, that lens. Is it going to help the community? Is it, Are they going to be engaged by it? And how I... I look at that as multiple parts. One, does it explicate the problem? Does it let people know not just, you know, disaster is coming, but does it say the salient effects? So what is it that the people are feeling themselves? Does it make them say, ah, yeah, we're facing that same thing? We have those same problems. That's how my family is affected. Mm-hmm. Secondly, does it identify a solution in a way that relates back to those salient effects that people can say, oh, yeah? I see that is a solution they've identified and that could actually help solve those problems we have. Third, does it show enough just to you know, scratch the surface about how to implement that solution? Just to, to give an idea that people can look at it and say, oh, actually that's something that we could be able to do. And the final thing, are there some kind of results or something about it being replicated that shows, is it effective? And people could say, oh yeah, all right, let's think about how we could replicate that here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In addition to those things, we, at the workshops that we did about effective uses of video, we actually asked the participants in those workshops to give their answers about what they thought made for a good video. And it basically, when I summarized all of that, it boiled down to three things. One of them is logical sequence of content, just like I just described. It's unbiased, unpatronizing, accurate new ideas for solutions that can be implemented that actually addresses people's problems. Secondly, that it's the technical quality. Does it engagingly hook people right from the start with action-oriented images, supportive sounds, and multiple views to provoke thoughts and and emotions, including laughter? And third, is it done in a clear, concise, understandable, and memorable way such that you can't take your eyes off it and you want to watch it many times in a row and you want to share it with everybody as soon as you see it? Mm -hmm. So I think those people said it much better than I could, that that's what people think makes good video for communicating good, good practices.
2: And it's it's like not even something that you or you're not thinking of all of these kind of components when you watch something. It's just uh, you you have a you either make a connection to the content or you don't. Right. Yeah. Um, as a viewer um, and that that sort of. Um, the desire to share is is not something you maybe go through a process and say, does this have all these components? Um, so what that says to me is there's a lot of planning that needs to go on be- before you ever create any content, right?
0: Oh, yes. And you know that better than I do, since you're involved in video production as well, you and your brother. But uh, yes, and it, mm. it's, it's a lot, not just going out and saying, let's shoot a video, but really putting it in and thinking, of, both about the technical quality and the content of how to make it so engaging that people in their downtime, when they're not thinking that they're working, they're actually able to really enjoy this and at the same time get something that's useful for them to improve their lives. Yeah.
1: But I suppose it's going back to what you said in the beginning about the engagement, right? You really need to know what these people want as well. Like It has to be relevant for them to be... Um, so they can be able to relate to it, and we can't do it if we don't understand the context, right? If we don't understand people.
0: yes, there are some general type things that that seem to uh, apply across different contexts, but if we want to make things that are really effective at a local level, it has to be context specific, and so that's going to involve you know the next level you know at various different levels of how specific to make it, but yes, exactly what you said that it's going to be engaging people at the local level to to make their own videos and to help them and facilitate the possibility for that to happen.
1: Well, talking of engagement at the local level, I really, really want to ask you about the um, arts contest, the 2019 uh, Tikkun Zikeri art contest. So communicating flood vulnerability reduction, good practices through arts in Malawi. Tell us a little bit more about the content. So what, what, what was this contest about? How did you get involved? You know, what was the process? What were the outcomes?
0: I'm impressed with your pronunciation of the conzaguer. Like, that's it. that's you've got your, your Chichewa down. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was intrigued for years. Uh, I when I first wrote that chapter for the the handbook, I found out about the contests that were run by the Red Cross in the Caribbean. And I asked lots of questions about that. And then subsequently I got involved doing an evaluation of contests that were run in Madagascar. And I always since that time been looking like I'm I'm looking for the great opportunity where I I can just Started myself and find somewhere where that can happen, where I can do it the way I want to do it. Um, so I found that. I found myself in Malawi for other reasons, but I was actively involved in both the, the disaster risk reduction community and also the arts communities. And I found that all of the ingredients for doing this were all here in Malawi. So that's how I started it.
1: involved in this contest? What kind of things did you submit? So what, what did you see? Tell us, tell us the stories.
0: Uh, sure. Well, there's lots of fun stories. with that. I mean, we probably don't have time for all of that. But the uh, the main gist of what happened is that, uh, well, like I said, I, I wanted to learn from those other contests and then try to improve upon them. And for me, that meant a better hybrid process, taking some elements of top down communication, and certain elements of participatory communication. So that the messages would be, just like I say in one of my songs, accurate, relevant, with process and product ownership. So that was the whole thing of like how to make that. So step one was the top-down part. Creating guidance notes of locally relevant flood vulnerability reduction messages. And how to communicate them based on documents that I had and input from government and participating partner UN, Red Cross, NGOs. But then the next thing was to... Step two, create the hype. That included writing, recording, and spreading around the the song that I wrote. We're getting ready, called Um, So, local language song. Uh, I have a recording that's also in English. Um, But the, the thing was that also creating a team. So, there were content people from the partners, but also contest heads from the art categories. Luminaries in songwriting, poetry, storytelling, short video, and drawing. We originally wanted to have photography, but People complained that they couldn't shoot what isn't there. So that evolved into drawing instead. So getting all those people involved and then putting it out to the masses and calling for submissions. And we had lots of media hype, press briefing, articles, TV and radio appearances, national and local audiences. And then there was a date for submissions, first round of judging resulting in semi-finalists, more media interaction to get the word out there. Semi-finals, public events meant to spread the messages and get people talking more, and that involved choosing three finalists in each category. And then one of the prizes, which I thought was brilliant, (laughs) was that each of those finalists, one of their prizes was that we would work with them to improve the technical and content quality on all the audio and video recordings and make them actual audio and videos that could be used. So they got that as a prize, but then that got to be used by all the partners. Cool. And um, so I get to put that on my CV as well. Like now with them, like executive director of a bunch of videos. But uh, so the final thing is what we're still working on now is working with the partners and the others to figure out how to use these products in their processes for risk communication. And also build upon this for more impactful ways, like so that we can continue this and it won't be a one-off thing that there's going to be more. Uh, in fact, the one this year is probably going to be related to COVID-19 or other pandemics. Yeah. The whole thing with this is uh, making it so that, like you asked before, is trying to just find more impactful ways, more healthy ways, that such hybrid communication approaches can be integrated into risk-managed development strategies, into making it so that DRR can involve more from the national down to the local levels.
2: I think it's like such a or it must be such a different experience to for the participants to come together around, um, around the arts, discussing very important content, right. And issues, but coming together in a much more exciting way than just like, a you know, a a forum, uh, where people can talk through issues. Um, it's just a totally different experience. Right. And I don't, I don't see it. Um, happen very often.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's it's very different. I, we were commended uh, much by the people at the IDDR, like the International Day for Disaster Reduction. Mm-hmm. We had a stall there uh, and we had a presentation uh, to the vice president and a bunch of other people of these videos and the, the drawings and everything else. And people were just gushing about this is great. We never get anything like this. It's usually just people talking mm-hmm. and handing us a brochure. Um, so in, in all of these events, people were saying the same thing, that, that this is so different. Like we, we, we just don't have yeah. this before. There's contests about different things, but the idea of communicating about good practices is something that really just doesn't exist. So yeah, it, was, it actually was it made people stop and think about how can we do more of this?
2: Well, thanks so much for joining us, BFB. It's been great to reconnect and um, hear about your work. And I I think the listeners are really going to enjoy your insights into um, participatory communication and some of these different methods that they might try to replicate as well. I think that could be exciting to get more people involved in this kind of thing.
0: I hope so. That would be great. And I hope they let me know. Mm.
2: Yeah, so if anybody wants to get in touch
0: with you, what's the best way? If anyone is interested in learning more about this or doing something, wants to let me know that they've been inspired by anything that I've said and is doing something regarding participatory communication, please do contact me. Uh, you can do so old school email, bfootbob at hotmail.com. That's B-F-O-O-T-B-O-B at hotmail.com. Or shoot me a message on Facebook where I am Barefoot Bob, the guy in the yellow fedora with a guitar <laughs> with his mouth open. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much. It's been great. Same, same, same. Thank you. I knew we would laugh and we have (laughs) productive fun.
2: Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast.
1: You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDcon.
2: The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe.
1: And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you.
2: You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time.
0: You have been listening to Cassandra Jason and me, Barefoot Bob, on Disasters Deconstructed Podcast.